Hey, it's Ella and Daddy, and you're listening to the Not Me But You podcast, where our goal is to speak out the truth of the Bible so that our listeners may be encouraged to live in a manner worthy of their calling. Together, we pray that God would use this episode to strengthen and guide you on your faith journey. Without further ado, enjoy the show. everyone, this is Ella. Unfortunately, Addie cannot be here with me today, but I did have the opportunity to sit down with my advisor, Dr. Mark Lonsbro, and um, hopefully just pass along some of the things to all of our listeners that I have been learning in my classes from him here at school. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, both Dr. Mark and his wife, Becky, have been a huge blessing to me in my time here at Faith, and so I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say and learn more about the world of missions. Okay, Dr. Mark, thank you for being here with me today. Um, Would you just like to introduce yourself, share a little bit about your testimony, and just so the audience knows a little bit more about you. Sure, sure. Uh, I was born in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I'm 63 years old. Uh, I was born into a home where my mother was the only believer on either side Mm. of the of the marriage, and uh, so God allowed me to be born into a home where I would hear the gospel through her influence. And and uh, when I was fourteen, we had been attending a church in Toledo that um, really had a strong gospel ministry. And uh, I came to know Christ at the age of fourteen in October of nineteen seventy four, and that really began my journey. Um, my walk with God and eventually direction into the ministry. We had a strong youth group there that involved the um, the teens in a lot of ministry opportunities. And uh, I met someone who was interning at that church who was a student here at Faith Baptist Bible College. Mm. And so um, God began to give me a burden for ministry. You know, and I didn't really understand much about theology or you know what a burden was. I just really sensed that I would enjoy being involved in, in the ministry. And so when I graduated from high school, I came to faith in 1978 and uh, studied here for five years and met my wife here. And that was instrumental because she was a missionary kid who grew up in Brazil. Oh. So she was born in South Dakota, but her parents went to the mission field when she was four. Okay. So she grew up basically in Brazil. And so when I met her, she was my introduction to the mission field and Brazil specifically. So uh, I went on to seminary and got a master's degree out in Washington State. And um, uh, we were married uh, at the beginning of that seminary uh, time. And then uh, once I graduated, our first child was born and we began raising support to go to Brazil. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot uh, that I could say about how God led us to Brazil. Uh, Essentially, he opened up some doors to a teaching opportunity down there. I never thought of myself as being a teacher, but uh, there was a need for training nationals on the field. And um, the fact that my wife had grown up there was really was really interesting because she already had a knowledge of the culture and the language. Yeah. And in fact, we found ourselves almost deciding not to consider Brazil because we didn't want to go for the wrong reason just because she'd grown up there. Mm-hmm. But when we, as we prayed about it and, and talked to people, we began to sense that God was leading us in that direction. So we went to Brazil in uh, 1989 and uh, spent the next uh, 19 years of our lives there. 
until God led us back here in 2008 to begin the ministry that I'm assuming here at Faith. Mm, sure. So you kind of mentioned your feeling called to missions. You didn't know exactly what that was at the time. Um, but do you think, not necessarily just with missions, but anyone going into ministry, is there some sort of call? Yeah, I, there is definitely what I would refer to as a leading of the Lord. And the reason I didn't use the word call there is because I think that sometimes we overstate what a call is. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're expecting something almost magical or some sort of a sign, you know, that God gives us to show if he wants us to do something. And I think that some people really get discouraged because they have a desire to do something or they sense that they would, you know, enjoy being in a certain type of work, but they haven't had this call, the sign, or whatever it is. And I always tell our students, look, if God's given you a desire to do something and he's given you the ability, and normally those two go together. If you have a desire, normally it's because you're gifted in that area. Mm -hmm. and, and if you have both of those, then head in that direction. And if God doesn't want you there, he's really good at closing doors. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and if he closes one door, he'll open another. And so uh, I try to get our students not to overanalyze the call of God or the leading of the Lord, but, but if they're just faithful in the Word, growing in the Lord, and, uh, and then God opens an opportunity and gives them a desire, then they should head in that direction. Does, yeah. that, does that make sense? Yeah. Just to no, keep it from definitely. being overly mystical, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Um, with being called into ministry, do you think that with missions more specifically someone can be called to a certain location yeah again i would say um god uses everything in fact I, I would say it's not so much what god uses to lead you to a certain location but what he doesn't use because i believe god uses all of the components of our lives mm -hmm. to direct us he may use somebody i know in a certain location uh, he may give me a desire for a particular people group um, when we went to brazil it was not only because Becky had grown up there and had background there, but also because we were in touch with people who were serving in Brazil, and they're the ones that told us about the need. We, we took a visit. We thought, you know, if God is possibly leading us to Brazil, it would be a good idea to make a visit there. And so we spent six weeks there. Mm. And uh, the, the interesting thing is, when we came back, we didn't really feel as though God was necessarily calling us there oh, really? okay yeah i mean we enjoyed the trip and all that but it wasn't like we came back saying wow this is where god wants mm -hmm. us um, it, it, it was actually a, a year or two after that trip that we began to think you know uh, maybe this is what he wants us to do and part of that was because we were getting correspondence from people we had visited there that said hey we need help training nationals in this school or somebody else saying in another school you know mm -hmm. And, and so uh, I, I really think that God uses a combination of, of things, experiences, people, desire of our heart, the Word. And the Spirit of God uses all of that together to uh, mix the recipe. And, and then when, it's, when, he, when he bakes it and it comes out, we yeah. know this is what he wants. Yeah. So I, I would say that there is a subjective element in the will of God. It's not always something that we can bullet point to everybody you know, to show them, okay, this, it's because of this, this, and this. Sometimes there is just a sense inside. And, and the only way we can trust that sense is if we're, we're maintaining a daily walk with the Lord, and we're sensitive mm -hmm. to His Spirit, we're in the Word. Um, I have had to make major decisions in my life that were really 
uh, largely subjective in nature. I couldn't put my finger on any one thing and say, this is the reason. Yeah. And yet I'm just as convinced as ever that it's what God wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you think best prepared you for missions? Or do you think anyone can be fully prepared to go into the mission field? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to say we're fully prepared, it's kind of like a couple, married couple, uh, expecting their first child. You know, how long do you wait? Are you fully prepared? We have two new grandbabies on the way, mm-hmm. and both of these new parents are saying, you know, this isn't something we can fully prepare for. Uh, and so there is a, a, an extent to what you can prepare. And I would say, number one, you know, make sure you're maintaining that close walk with God. Nothing can substitute that. That's the foundation. But if you sense that maybe God is leading you into ministry, then an education in a place like faith, a Bible college that helps you to, to prepare theologically, to understand the Bible better, to get ministry opportunity, all of that can be used to help prepare you. Um, I, I never took a course in learning a new culture or how to learn a language when I went to Brazil. Um, they just weren't available back then. At least I didn't know of them. And so I learned a lot of that on the job once we landed on, on the ground in Brazil. But here now, you know, we offer courses in cultural anthropology and you know, theology of missions and things that can help students to, to better prepare. So, so there is an academic side to preparation. There's a spiritual side to preparation, which is maintaining your walk with God. And, uh, and then you just step out and trust God to lead you and teach you as you move along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest challenge with learning to minister in a different culture? I think that it depends on the personality of the person who's, who's ministering. Um, for instance, some people are really afraid about messing up in a new language. Mm. So they, they hesitate to get out in public and use it. They don't want to embarrass themselves. They don't want to say something wrong. And I'll just tell you that if you're going to learn a new language, you're going to make all kinds of mistakes. <laughs> But if you have the kind of personality that's more laid back and you can laugh with the people, you know, you'll, you'll get along much better. But language learning is a big deal. Some people think they're disqualified for cross-cultural ministry because they're not good at linguistics or grammar you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and I know colleagues in Brazil that weren't good linguists, but, but they really had a ministry with people. Their Portuguese maybe wasn't as good as somebody else's, but they loved the people and they really made an impact mm. on them. Um, another thing is just um, the difference of climate and culture. I mean, besides the language, what about living in a climate that you're not used to um, or in a political system that's totally different from your own? There are feelings of nervousness or perhaps even fear. What if I mess up? What if I do something wrong, get myself in trouble? Uh, or in a different climate, what if my body doesn't adjust well and I find myself getting sick, you know, or allergies? And I mean, they're all s- sorts of potential worries, you know, related to that. And my my counsel would be, if you're sensing that God's leading you there, then trust God to help you to yeah. deal with those things as they come. Yeah. Because you're never going to be able to cross all the I's and dot all the T's before you get there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. When you are ministering in a different culture, do you think there ever is some sort of distinct sign or push from God saying, hey, maybe this isn't where I want you serving right now? Yeah, I mean, I know people that that went to the mission field and after a year or two or maybe the first term of service, four years, 
they came back and said, you know, we're just not convinced God wants us to stay here. Hmm. And when that happens, um, sometimes people will say, well, you know, how did you misinterpret God's direction? Or sometimes people will criticize you by saying, well, you're just giving up. You know, you don't have the toughness to stick it out. And I'm always really, really careful about that because God's plan is different for everybody. And just because I may stay in a location for 15 or 20 years doesn't mean that everybody else has to. God has wired certain people to serve in short-term ministries, you know, one place or another. And so, um, um, you know, I'm careful about accusing people of just giving up and not trusting God when changes happen. We left Brazil after 19 years there because of primarily because of health issues with our parents, my mm-hmm. parents and, and, and Becky's parents both. And because of the situations with the siblings and all that, you know, we just felt that God was leading us back here to care for them. And there were other things happening too. They were all good. The church was nationalizing and so on. But but um, I think when it's time to change, if God is, is leading you through a change, uh, he's going to give you enough to go on to say, I'm convinced this is his leading for us. Yeah, yeah. What For you, what was your biggest challenge with adjusting to the culture in Brazil? When we when we arrived in Brazil? Yeah. Um, boy, that, that's a good question. I loved the challenge of learning a language. I had never learned a second language. I, I didn't know what it was like to speak a foreign language. Yeah. And so I really embraced the challenge of learning Portuguese. Mm. We had to go through a, a, a series of lessons they call them cycles it took about a year to do and i took the bull by the horns because i love that um perhaps an area that was more difficult was fear of not being able to teach well without having a a good grasp of the theological lingo and the cultural nuances that they faced because we believe the same theology that our brethren in brazil do but because of their cultural differences, sometimes the way that they live that out or apply that knowledge is different. And so I, I think maybe the best way to say it is that I was afraid that I might not be able to relate to their life and, and know how to help them plug theology, God's God's word, into their particular living conditions sure. because they're not the same as mine. Right. We lived on a little different economic level. You know, The neighborhoods were very different from ours. Like I said, the political system... And so I wanted, I wanted to be able to apply the word in a way that would be meaningful to them where they live. Yeah, yeah, sure. So what do you think are the benefits of serving in a different culture? There is something about being bicultural that is just really, really helpful. And a couple of things I would say. One, it reminds you that not everybody in the world thinks the way that you do. You know, I grew up in the United States and there were certain things I just assumed that everybody in the world thinks about because they're, they're second nature to me. Right. And then I find out that, no, not everybody looks at it the same way. Um, uh, and so learning to live in a different culture and speak another language uh, really helps to broaden your sense of, okay, this world is diverse mm. and people don't all have the same perspective on things. I think the challenge of learning to live in a new culture, eat different foods, adjust to a different climate, language, and so on, is just uh, an overall good exercise. Mm. Uh, being thrust out of your comfort zone is always good. Um, 
because I think God uses discomfort and uncertainty to draw us to himself. It's when we feel insecure and uncertain about things that we're most prone to come to God and say, I need you, you know, help me to, 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 to do this, understand this. Sure. So, and I had a missionary colleague who said, I, he said that he told his kids that regardless of what culture their kids were in, American culture or in this case, Brazilian culture, get the best of both. Learn, learn the good qualities of both cultures and put them together into one person. And that mm-hmm. was good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So for better or worse, in what ways did ministering in a different culture change you? Um, I guess I, I discovered after four, five, six years in Brazil that I was no longer a pure American <laughs> because you learn to adopt some of the mindset, sure. the attitudes of the people there. Uh, I know my driving ethic changed. <laughs> I, I still, I've been back now for 16 years and I still have some of the Brazilian driving ethic uh, in my blood when I'm behind the wheel. Um, but um, yeah, you know, you are going to change. You're no longer going to be who you were nationally or otherwise. But again, I'm okay with that. I, it, it did change you know, the way I, I view myself even as, as an American. I'm not a Brazilian. Mm-hmm. In fact, you kind of become a hybrid over mm-hmm. time. And, um, and missionary kids wrestle with that a lot when they come back after being on the field, especially if they're young, yeah. you know, teenage years or whatever. They sometimes feel a little bit out of place when they come, but that's okay because it's, it's all part of, of learning. Another thing that changes about you is that you learn to be more understanding of people who are in a new culture. When they come sure. to visit us on this end and they're struggling, uh, we have students here who are from other cultures, and, and I, I can sometimes see them wrestling and wondering and trying to figure things out. Yeah. And the fact that I've been through that myself gives me more compassion on people that are wrestling with it now. Mm-hmm. What was the most difficult thing for you to adjust to living in Brazil? Um, you know, this is going to sound trite, but Brazilians have a very small sense of personal space. <laughs> uh, privacy is a big deal in the Western world. We, yeah. we Americans love our personal space. We love our, you know, we, we like to be able to be in a silent place and not be distracted and we can figure out how to do that. In Brazil, in Latin America in general, you know, people don't view private lives and personal space as important or at least as important yeah. as, as we do here. And so I remember often feeling like I just need some time. I need some space. I, I, and, and Brazilians just wanted, they wanted to be around. They right. wanted to talk. And, and I think sometimes it was hard for them to understand why I needed a break, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, and I would, you know, try to explain it to them. But, but I, I would say off the top, um, not having that privacy. I, I, I tend to be a private person. I enjoy going home to a quiet house and just yeah. being able to chill and uh, so that was something we had to strike a balance because I couldn't just open my home and let everybody come in, you know, and completely. But but at the same time, I had to establish some parameters. Yeah, I, I would say that was probably one of the biggest challenges. Sure. Yeah. Do you think because we've talked a lot about God calling someone into ministry or into a certain location? Do you think God calls people out of the ministry or out of certain locations? Yeah, absolutely. Um I like to view God as the great chess master. He's moving his pieces, and I'm not very good at chess, but a really good chess player can move a piece knowing that, that 12 moves later, that, mm. that move is going to be important. Yeah. And only God knows you know, how a move right now is going to impact the future. 
And so God does move people around. And, and as I said a few moments ago, some people move around more than others. Uh, and part of that's just the way God wires us. And, and I, I also believe that God can even take people out of ministry. I remember as a young person, a new Christian, hearing people say, you know, once you're in a ministry, it's for the rest of your life. You can never leave. Yeah. And, and I would say this. In general, when people give themselves to a life of ministry, it normally is the rest of their lives. But I also know people that have been in ministry whom God has let out of ministry, and they're in another type of work. And I do not consider that to be disobedience to God or falling away from His will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even though that's not the norm, uh, I, I don't want to put God in a box. Yeah. God does so many different things with so many different people in so many different ways that we have to be really careful that we don't judge Him that. And again, it all goes back to that personal walk with God. If you're maintaining a walk with God, you can be sure that as he leads in those different directions, mm-hmm. you know, you're in his will. Mm-hmm. So obviously not everybody goes into vocational ministry uh, or feels called to that. Those of us who don't feel called into full-time ministry, how do we still take some of these things and apply them to our lives and still be an effective yep, Christian, you know it. what I'm trying to I, say? I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Sometimes we use the words sacred and secular in a dangerous way. What I mean by that is we kind of consider the ministry sacred work and then everything else that people do is secular. Yeah. And, and in so doing, perhaps without even realizing it, we have said, you know, this person in ministry is more important than the person in secular work. I've even heard people say, oh, yeah, I'm not in ministry. I'm just in secular work, as if to say that that's somehow less important. And, you know, 95% plus of the Church of Jesus Christ from the beginning 2,000 years ago till today has been non-ministry people. I mean, the vast majority of of Christ's church are people who are in this quote-unquote secular work. Right. And so I, for, for me, every believer is involved in sacred ministry. And what I mean by that is no matter what we're doing with our lives, whether we're in missions or in the pastorate or, you know, carpenter or dentist or whatever it is, we are all representatives of Jesus Christ. When Christ gave his great commission to the church, he gave it to everybody. When he said, go into the, all the world, make disciples of all nations, that was that was for everybody. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a vocational missionary, but that means that wherever we are, we're representing him. We're his ambassadors. And so every year we have a missions conference here. Mm-hmm. And so I always remind the students of that because many of our students don't end up in ministry. Yeah. And they might be tempted to think, well, why should I be a part of this missions conference? I'm not in ministry. It's because the whole body of Christ is involved in some way. I, I have... Th- four children, only one of them is in the ministry. The other three are in quote-unquote secular work. Yeah. And yet they're all aware that where they're serving, where they're working is a unique mission field all their own. I can't touch the kinds of people that they rub shoulders with. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a unique opportunity for them to represent Christ. So again, I just try to avoid, I'm not against it. If I hear somebody say sacred and secular, I understand what they're saying, but I mm-hmm. think there are some built-in you know, things to avoid in understanding those words. Yeah, definitely. So a majority of our listeners on this podcast are in these quote-unquote secular um, jobs and going to school and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so what are ways that they can best serve um, Christ and you know, remain focused on their mission. Mm. I think that 
one of the most important things besides that daily walk with God that I keep coming back to is remembering that the Bible says that all of us who are Christ's followers are strangers and pilgrims in this earth, mm. which means we're passing through. Um, when God spoke of Abraham in Hebrews, he said he found no continuing city here. Abraham was a Bedouin. He was always traveling around. So I think understanding the temporal nature of this life as, as a Christian is really important. Uh, no matter what someone is doing as a career, it's temporary. You know, our lives are like a vapor. Yeah. And so if we keep in mind that, that, that we're passing through and that someday we're all going to end up in eternity, it really forms our perspective in realizing, okay, God's placed me here as a doctor or placed me here as a steel worker to be a lighthouse for Christ and help others who are headed to a Christless eternity. Yeah. And so just, just living a Christ-like testimony and as God gives opportunity, sharing your faith in Christ, you know, mm -hmm. I just think being aware of who we are, our identity as strangers and pilgrims representing Christ here is, is foundational in oh, knowing yeah. how to live. Yeah, definitely. So what is one thing that you wish everybody knew about missions and serving in different cultures? Boy, that's a tough <laughs> question because there's so much. You took right. my theology and missions class. Yeah. I think a burden that God has given me in the last couple of years is a burden of helping people to understand the story from beginning when sin entered the world all the way until the end. The Bible is a big book, 66 books in the Bible, and it's confusing for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think if, if we can help people understand the narrative, what God is doing, because mm. missions is God's work. God is on a mission. Yeah. He's been on a mission since the Garden of Eden. He said, I'm going to send somebody, the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And everything that he does in the scriptures, everything he reveals to us is all about fulfilling that mission. Mm -hmm. And so I, for me, the, the greatest need is helping the people in our world to understand what it is that God is doing. And, you know, what's happening in this age that we're living in right now? What makes us different from, you know, what we call the Old Testament? Right. And, and if people can, can see that... Um, we're used to living in a Judeo-Christian culture where people, you know, have heard the word Jesus or they've heard the word, you know, crucifixion or they've heard the word redemption. But so many people in our world know nothing about those ideas. And and so the more we can prepare people by helping them to see the narrative, understand the flow of the story, then I think the more effective we'll be in taking that message to those who need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's pretty much covers all the questions that I um, had kind of brainstormed. Um, but I think this is really good. I mean, a lot of a lot of information for people to think about and think over. But are there any other thoughts that you want to leave people with? Any any funny stories that you love from your time <laughs> in Brazil? Any any other thoughts that you have? Yeah, I could tell some funny things that I said <laughs> trying to speak Portuguese uh, using using words I didn't realize I was using. But uh, if, what I did learn is that the, the Brazilian people love to laugh. And if I learned to laugh at my own mistakes, uh, you know, we, we got a lot farther. One of the things that the people of the world need to understand is that Christians aren't perfect people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're accused of being biased or bigoted or, you know, holier than thou talking about knowing that we're going to heaven. Right. And, and I think that, that we need to be genuine. We need to be real. Show the world that we're still struggling, not struggling to be saved, mm -hmm. but struggling in this life, you know, just because mm -hmm. we're living in a fallen world. And the more people see that we're real, you know, and that we wrestle with things like they do, 
I think the more open doors that that'll give to us to, yeah, to be able yeah, to witness to them. Definitely. So for us as Christians, how do we find a balance of that between being open and being real, but not overly vulnerable with things? Right. You know? Not hang all of our dirty laundry out. So yeah, exactly. I, I think it's all about relationships. We need to be developing relationships with people who don't know Christ. In fact, People who live in or are working in so-called secular job environments, they actually have an advantage that way because they are rubbing shoulders more consistently with with people who need Christ than sometimes even we in the ministry do yeah. because we're sometimes, you know, in our offices or we're, you know, working with people in the church. And, and so relationships is huge. And mm-hmm. I think that as we develop relationships with people, we learn, we can sense just how much we can open up to them. And then as we do that, we're encouraging them to reciprocate, mm-hmm. to be to be willing to open up to us as well. So there's no um, there's no standard, you know, textbook standard for that. It's just learning to sense how God is giving you opportunity as you develop relationships with people oh, to, yeah. to open up and share. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something I've really learned here at Faith. Just the focus on discipleship mm-hmm. here. I've learned so much just about. The importance of building those relationships and yeah. discipling others, and I really appreciate that perspective mm. here on things. But, but yeah, this has been great. Um, I really appreciate your and Becky's ministry to me. You guys have been a great blessing to mm. me in my time here. And anyways, I think that um, is all for now. I think we could probably go on talking forever about this. <laughs> but um, thanks again for um, sharing with us today, Dr. Mark, and. Um, yeah, we'll talk to all you listeners in a future episode. Well, I appreciate you taking time. It's been a joy to, to hang out and to, to share a little bit of these thoughts with you. Absolutely. Thanks. Oh, hey, you're still here. While you're still here, just one more thing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching Not Me But You Productions. And make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Thanks again for listening.